Hello, and welcome to a, another very special episode of Video Game Logic. Today's episode was recorded on January the 17th, 2023. I'm your host, gaming psychologist, and with me, as always, this year, wearing a sequined blue dress. Caffeine raging. Send the jaws of life. Oh, I got your jaws of life right here, big boy. On today's episode, Ew. we're going to be doing the first half of the VGL award, Awards? Awards. Yeah, um, we're going to be doing things a little bit different this time around. Yeah, we we discussed last year, because we're getting old um, and, and tired. And we that, uh, go on from tangents. Yeah, that we should record this in two parts. And the original intent was to record one part Sunday night, when we usually have date night, uh, and just like play video games or whatever, and then do the other part tonight. Well, we forgot. We forgot about that until this morning when I was like, hey, we talked at one point about doing these as two separate episodes. Are we going to do that? So we're going to do that. But instead of doing it the way we intended to, we're going to record part one today, tonight. You'll get that on Friday. And then. We're going to record part two Sunday, and you'll get that after I edit it, whenever that happens to be. Probably but, like two, uh, Wednesday or so. Yeah, the goal for me is to, we'll record it Sunday night. The goal will be for me to edit it Monday, um, and then you guys will get it on Wednesday, if everything goes according to plan. And then next Friday, you will have a normal ass episode. The holidays well, are over. Gets to us, at least. Right. The holidays are over. We'll have, I think, one, it, precisely one episode before our next game club. So one one normal-ish episode. Yeah, and that's about the only day, way that we're going to have a normal episode, is to throw a, an additional episode in the mix. So if you enjoy this, hey, you get a little more. If you don't, I'm not sure why you're still here, although thanks for sticking around. Unless you're just interested in the, in the train wreck, in which case, fair enough. So yeah, uh, my lovely assistant here, why don't you tell the, the good people, in case they're new, what the VGL Awards are? All the VG Awards are our take on, essentially, the, VG, uh, well, the video game awards and uh, generic award show here, where we look at, was it 20 categories between the two parts? Uh, oh, is no, that right? no, 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 24, sorry. It's six blocks. Yeah, it's four blocks of six. So 24 categories of various awards, some dishonors, some honors, some personal I... things where we reflect upon the year past. And in part two is kind of our bigger awards with just how the way things are structured with a live discussion of what we think the game of the year should be for the podcast in general. Yep. And if you wish to send us your nominee for uh, these, because it's one for me and one for my not-so-lovely assistant. That's true. You're Uh, definitely the lovely one. Well, eh. you just suck up to me because I could cook. You're trying to sucker me into the cult to be uh, the uh, cook. I mean, I wouldn't... Yeah. That would work for me. If you wish to contact us and tell us what you think about the... You know, 
did we miss something obvious for an award? Do you have your own take on an award? Send it to us, VGLpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet it to us, VGLpodcast. Or, yeah, you know, yell at us at the Discord. Which I'll link yep. to that could be over at VGLpodcast.podbean.com. Or, I mean, if you really want to, I guess you can, like, lean out your window and turn generally to, you know, the southeastern United States and yell. Maybe we'll hear you. Kind of hard over the sounds of gunshots and banjo music, but, you know, we'll give it a rest shot. Hey, leave Clay County out of this. <laughs> so, yeah, our, yeah, their their brother uncles are yeah are very caring. Very, <laughs> they're good listeners. Okay. <laughs> um. So yes, are you ready to yeah. dive in? So we're going to have the first two blocks tonight with twelve awards total, and then we'll take a break. Release the Chicago bot. Yeah, that's a Sunday. joke. It's never going to die. <laughs> the good old Shake Hydro boy. So, uh, do you want to take the first one? Sure. Our first award for the night is the most memorable gaming moment in 2022. Now, this is what we consider to be the most memorable. It can be anything as long as it has to do with gaming, even if that's only tangentially. Yeah, and this is more of a personal uh, one for, I think, both of us. So, yeah. uh, you can go ahead and take yours. So mine this, yours is more of a general one. Mine this year was unionization in the game industry. Um, we started the year off with, well, a lot of stuff. But the thing that, that rings out in my mind is the whole continuing controversy from last year of Activision Blizzard King and their uh, sex scandals and harassment scandals and very blatant sexism and racism in the company. And from that mess, that was either the tipping point or perhaps one that was viewed by most, by, or by many people as sort of the biggest one um, or the straw that broke the camel's back. But that kicked off a wave of unionization in the game industry that continues to go and grow today with numerous companies, um, Ubisoft, Activision, Microsoft, Sony, um, many smaller sort of double A or, you know, quote unquote, mid tier developers, uh, getting unionization. Um, the way that this is working is it is having to happen in individual studios across not only the United States, but other places in the world. Um, granted the United States is one of the more hostile places in the world to labor unions, but, uh, still many victories in many, uh, studios in various countries around the world and this is nothing but a good thing and i hope the trend continues into 2023 yeah and mine is more of a, a personal one so uh it's pokemans more specifically kind of the build-up to the release of scarlet and violet what like three months ago now yeah and kind of getting caught in the pseudo-hype train. I mean, I wasn't... It was more of a kind of looking forward to it and seeing what's happening with it. And Adida is a big Pokemon fan, so I didn't get caught up into it on the last generation because, yeah, we had just really started our relationship. And, yeah, Sword and Shield, the big, you know, premiere... Uh, 
title for the uh, consoles had just you know about came out, so there was a you know that long you know build up of like six months or so. So this was kind of you know my first time and a very long time uh, for a Pokemon you know really looking forward to a release. Which I know uh, sounds very selfish compared to unionization. Yeah, but last That's year didn't we have personal one? Yeah, last year there weren't we flip flopped because mine was about playing games with my kids or with my kid for the first time. Really, I mean we played games together, but with him being able to read fully and engage in more complex games like last year, that was mine. mine. Yeah, my, yeah, mine was uh, you know figuring out what the hell was going on with my computer. Okay, <laughs> so they were both personal last year. I, you know, I'm nothing if not a bleeding heart socialist. So to see the labor movement grow up, I took that very personally this year. I get that it's it's not a strictly personal thing, but God damn it, makes <laughs> makes a tear come to my eye to watch companies squirm for even just half a second. Yeah, right before they shut down the uh, yeah that division, right? The QA team. Yeah. Anyways. So, yeah. uh, moving along to biggest surprise of the year, which is anything game-related, and I'll take off uh, this one, uh, Square Enix essentially cashing out in their Western studios to go all in on NFTs and blockchain. What the ever-living fuck? Yeah, NFTs showing up early, but not their last uh, appearance by a long shot. I mean, they sold the rights to Deus Ex, Tomb Raider, pretty much all their big uh, Western releases for pennies on the dollar. Mind you, Square Enix also has a history of vastly overestimating their sales projections to the point that, uh, what was it, the first Tomb Raider remake would have to sold like 10 million copies to be considered a success. Oh yeah, it was crazy how many it was going to need to sell. So, yeah, Square Enix is, has this weird thing going on with themselves already, but this, uh, this just came out of nowhere, and this was really the first time I really had heard of the Embracer Group, which is yeah. this holding company that's kind of you know, collecting uh, game studios like their, you know, the Infinity Stones. So, uh, a little scary. I mean, right? Yeah, I mean, you know, late-stage capitalism. Mm -hmm. Pretty much. But, but yeah. at the same time, you know, we are seeing, you know, these IPs that have been dead for a long time possibly making a resurgence because, you know, Square Enix isn't there fucking it up now. Yeah, which, which which really hurts because I grew up, yeah, you know, uh, yeah, you know, mid to late teenage years, big into you know uh, Square, well Square Soft games at the time. So seeing this happen to Square Enix now, and seeing just how they've utterly fucked, you know, some of the uh, game franchises that I loved. Oh, maybe it's a good thing, but at the same time. I don't want to see them crash or burn, or at least not just yet. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you were about to say. Well, I was. I was going to say. I, well, a couple of things. Uh, one, I ultimately I think that this is a good thing. Number one, fuck Square Enix for going all in on NFTs. Good. 
you know, yeah. get lose your IP, lose a whole bunch of money on NFTs, you know, good, fuck them. But also, I mean, they've been sitting on these properties for quite a while and haven't done a ton. I know that there were the new Tomb Raider releases and, well, a few. that's been years ago now, though. That wasn't the last one of those that came out, like, in 2018, I think. Unless you count some of the mobile releases. Uh, I think Tomb Raider, what was it, Tomb Raider? One of those was good. One of them was bad. Does Square Enix also make Hitman? Uh, Yes. Yeah, Hitman hasn't had a good release in a while. Like, any chance that moving the IP will give these games, you know, a shot at a new lease on life, I'm I'm here for that. So, I mean, I don't think... That I mean, this- hell, just the fact that DSX is no longer under them. Yeah. Because didn't they uh, kill off the third game in the reboot trilogy uh, for one of the games that just utterly flopped? Yep. For the the same reason of overestimating sales figures and then calling a game a failure, because the the newest Deus Ex sold, I think four or five million copies, which is great, but it needed to sell something like eight million copies, according to them. So in that that same boat of yeah, it looks like they canceled both the third Deus Ex and another Tomb Raider uh, essentially at the same time. To go for Guardians of the Galaxy. Or, sorry, uh, no, the Avengers uh, 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 Games as a Service game. Which so, was also a failure for them. Good job, yeah. guys. Batten. Yeah, you know, uh, Saturday Night Live uh, Avengers. Yeah. You're batting yeah, like that, that, sticks that, over here. That, yeah, that's the problem. That's the problem with uh, Marvel right now. Is that unless you get the actors that. Is in the movies, or, or at least make, the or, animated or, series, or, or or I was going to say that, or you make it very clear like this is a completely alternate uh, take on it, like uh, you know uh, the Spider Verse version of Spider Man, which I I know is still a movie, but you know what I'm saying, it's not one of the big Marvel releases. Uh, it's going to feel uncanny valley, different, yeah. and that's even before you get into the shitty practice of games as a service. Yep. And the fact that they killed off both Deus Ex and Tomb Raider for that just hurts, huh? Yep. But, you know, uh, James Stephanie Sterling says it the best. Companies aren't happy with some money or even a lot of money. They want all of the money. And Uh, they will do anything. They will change anything to try to get all of the money. Mm Mm-hmm. So, uh, here we go for you, right? Yeah, so my biggest surprise of the year was the Pokemon gaming controversy, and I recognize that uh, that could one? be... I was going to say, I recognize that could be two different thing, two or three different oh, ones. Two? More like three or four. Yeah. What I mean by that, though, is that this year, and, and I, I had to double-check, Legends Arceus came out in January. Yes. And Legends Arceus, by my estimation watching listening observing the community as a whole is believed to be the best like one of the if not the best pokemon games that has been made in a decade or more yeah it's considered the best of all the spinoff games and like way up there on uh even uh considering main series even though it's not technically part of the 
main you know, installments. Yes. And that's the thing, that later, in the same year, and again, Pokemon Legends Arceus being a spin-off game is not made by the the Pokemon company or the, the primary developer. I don't quite know there. Yeah, it was essentially made by, because this is one thing I looked into whenever there was the uh, big controversy about the performance and everything else. Essentially, uh, Pokemon Arceus was made by essentially uh, the Pokemon Company's B-team with some outsourcing, while the main game is made by the Pokemon Company themselves with some yes. outsourcing, of course. Because yeah. there's there's no, you know, all full-on in-studio anymore. There's always some outsourcing somewhere. Right. But to watch that happen, to watch essentially the B-team release a game that the community, again, from my estimation, from my observation, generally tends to believe is the superior product at the beginning of this year and then release um, Scarlet and Violet, which went back on what many consider to be some of the best features released in a worse technical state, you know, all of these things and watching that community fucking eat its own tail. Like, a, you know, was yeah. like, Oh my God. Like just watching it. I, I know that the Pokemon competitive scene gets nasty. Most competitive yes. scenes do, but to see sort of the, the normal in, in, by my estimation, the normal fan base kind of, collectively lose its shit was a yeah, really just, interesting and surprising experience. I, I, I've seen some interesting takes on the performance issues is that some people have actually gone into a jailbroken switch and overclocked it to what they feel like a switch pro would have been. And there's a, a significant portion of people in the Pokemon fan base that I've researched that seems that they feel like uh, Scarlet and Violet was built around the idea of some sort of secondary version of the Switch, uh, essentially a Switch Pro. And the fact that a chip shortage happened uh, and through some leaked documents, Nintendo essentially killed off what would have been the Switch Pro and instead put out the uh, OLED bottle instead. And that kind of decapped what Scarlet and Violet was working towards on their performance because Arceus does have its performance issues but the thing is that it's also a more stylized world with more simple uh, assets in general. There is some gnarly texture work in Scarlet and Violet. There's some gnarly uh, tiling in their texture work but Scarlet and Violet also has a longer view distance just by the way that the world is built. So it's kind of a, you know, uh, a half dozen of one, right? Yeah, six of one, half dozen of the of another. Yeah. So I definitely see where that could be a possibility. And also the fact that walking back some quality of life uh, uh, installments uh, and tools, I think, is just a happenstance of Arceus being an experiment and them throwing out some ideas that stuck a lot harder than what they thought they would. Yeah. Whether or not that's true, I, I think it is. I think you're right. I think that argument is the correct one. 
it still is fascinating to watch the community sort of implode over this. So that was, I mean, that was my biggest surprise of the year. I mean, there was a lot of stuff that happened this year that was surprising, but, and, and maybe this, this is showing a little bit of my bias too. I don't have anything against Pokemon, but we've had this conversation on the show before, like Nintendo Pokemon, not necessarily Nintendo, but they're pretty much associated exclusively with Nintendo. Anyways, um, you know, Nintendo represents it or projects itself more as a toy and mm-hmm. not as a serious piece of electronic hardware. And I tend to think of Pokemon as something that is more of a toy as opposed to a, you know, major gaming community. And that certainly reflects my own internal bias. I'm not trying to put anybody down who likes Pokemon. Um, you know, I don't mean that. I I try really hard not to gatekeep gaming in any way. But it's just kind of the way I think about it. And so to me, I'm like, holy shit, guys. Like, it's it's Pokemon. It's okay. But not everybody feels that way. I mean, Nintendo, uh, that's how they got into the, uh, essentially kickstarted the North American gaming market again, was they said, we're not a video game, we're an electronic toy. Yeah. And they have maintained that ever since, I think. But, yeah. So, uh, next topic. Uh, next topic. All right, the next one is, and this is always one of my favorites, honestly, the It's Still an Early Access Award. This is an award that we give to a game that is still in early access. Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be the, the game that's been in early access the longest. Just a game from my, you know, the way that I think of it is like a game that I played once some time ago and I go look at it and I'm like, holy shit, that's still in early access. So my game was Terratech. Terratech is a vehicle survival crafting game. There's not survival in the sense of like you have to get food and stuff like that, but you do have to engage in vehicular combat. You've landed on this alien world. You have to engage in, in vehicular combat in order to gain parts and resources in order to build larger and larger bases to do stuff, explore the world, complete missions, sell goods and services off planet to get research and upgraded stuff. At least that's how it was the last time I played it in 2016. Back when they were saying full release is just around the corner, yet here we are in 2023, technically end of 2022, but it doesn't matter. They're still in early access. Uh, that they're still in early access. When I look this up, they they they're still in early access. Mm-hmm. It's still Where? listed as an early access game. I'm looking at the Steam page. I don't see it. Terra Tech. Oh, one on. word. Is it one word or is it two words? That's why I'm confused because I'm seeing release notes for one dot four dot two four dot one. Right. Terratech. All right. So when you search by their Steam's like store tags, mm-hmm. Terratech still has an an early access uh, badge or tag or whatever on it. Oh, that's because it was an early access game. So that doesn't get removed? No. Well, fuck. That's why I'm confused, because there's no blue box here. It's seen a full release. I did not know that. I searched <laughs> through early access titles on the Steam page, and Terratech showed up on the list, and I was like, holy fuck, it had that's still it early had access. full release, uh, like, four years ago. Well, fuck me. I, well, you've been trying. <laughs> 
All right, vamp for time for me. I had. I'll get a backup. Yeah, it was 2018, uh, August 10th to be exact. So you're well, like four and a half years late. The last time I played it was in 2016. Uh, so for me, I went back into the archives. Technically, this is not an early access game, but PC Gaming Wiki lists as early access, and it's still sold as an alpha version. So it's more early access than Terror Attack, at least. This is Voxatron. This is a virtual voxel-based console. It was part of the third purchase I ever made on Humble Bundle in 2011. Alright? Okay. It has not seen an update in like two or three years, even though the developer is still you know, plugging away at it. It's still an active development and will post uh, info about the upcoming stuff on Twitter occasionally. So it's still technically in development and it's Sort of like the Dwarf Fortress model of a big update every few years. Uh, but, you know, a long development cycle. But only this is, if you're not, if you didn't buy it, like, you know, 13, 14 years ago now, uh, you're paying 20 bucks for an alpha, <laughs> right? That hasn't been updated in several years. And the idea of this is that this... Uh, this borrows an idea that Spore had, where you're able to quickly swap out these cartridges with uh, essentially embedded code on a JPEG and trade off very simple games, or I should say uh, uh, very small and uh, yeah, size games, which is not as big of a draw as it was, you know, not like 20 years ago, whenever, you know, uh, the internet was a lot slower, right? Right. I mean, it is fascinating, and you know, I would love to see it actually see a fuller release someday, but at the same time, you know, not sure if I'm going to live that long. <laughs> so, yeah. Right, do we need to release the Chicago butt? Um, I can't, I'm, 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 I'm blanking on the name of a game. I have one in mind. And it's not a Steam game, but it is a game that I'm pretty positive is still in early access. It's a game I have not thought of in a while. I looked at a couple others, and and God damn it, you're right. Because I would look at I would look at the early access tag. I just didn't think about the tag not being removed once a game left early access. Yeah, because it basically has to be like mass reported to uh, get it removed. So, so they just yeah leave it. Yeah. It denotes uh, games that, uh, you know, used to be early access, but... Yep, I'm looking through the list of all the games that I had picked. Oh, you know what? You know what game? Isn't that still in early access? Yay! Project Zomboid! There we go. (laughs) Project Zomboid is still in early access. Forget everything I said before. That was... I'm, I'm joking. Project Zomboid. Looky there. It had its first release in its early, early alpha in 2011. It came to Steam in 2013. I did it. <laughs> that's that's not... And now, not the first time Project Zomboid is going to show up on my list. I'll talk more uh, about and, it. And here I had a possible one for you if you need uh, uh, some help, but okay. <laughs> what were you... Wait. 
was it going to be Star Citizen? No, it was going to be Star Sector. Oh, is Star Sector early access? Uh, it's not on Steam, but uh, last I heard, it's not seen full release. Okay, I was as a joke. Um, if I couldn't couldn't think of anything else, I was going to say, uh, shit, I literally just said it, and now it has left my brain. Star Citizen. Yeah, Star Citizen. Star Citizen's never going to be fully released, guys. I am I am a firm believer in that fact. Anyways, Project Zomboid. I guess I can talk about its early access history, because I am familiar. Um, I mean, they, they had a hell of a setback at one point, losing a laptop. By losing, you know, get, you know getting a, you know, their apartment broken into and having it fucking stolen. Yeah. But no, Project Zomboid first released as part of a, like, a game jam thing back in 2011. Um, it was uh, originally a... 2D isometric sprite-based game. Uh, concept was still the same. Surviving a zombie apocalypse. Um, it had a much smaller map. Way, way more limited stuff in terms of combat, actions, crafting, etc. At its release, it had NPCs, which have come and gone from versions over the years. Um, but it has seen regular, steady development for a decade, minus a couple of setbacks and some breaks for relocations and people just sort of dealing with life. Um, Project Zomboid has become a pretty widely successful cult hit that just hired three new staff and is pushing forward into their next major release um, this year, probably. So yeah, Project Zomboid. I did it. Mm. All right, that was we got a little out of sorts, but you're next. So, the Boulder Dash Award, what we're fed up with hearing from from the previous year, and you might be thinking NFTs. You wouldn't be wrong, but there's something else that's been stuck in my crawl, and that's the metaverse. This Zuckerberg universe, shittier version of Second Life, which Second Life is still around. Powered by ads and eye tracking, and it just is all the dystopian bullshit that I grew up, uh, you know, watching sci-fi movies about, and it's just cringy to be, to say the least. The fact that d- did you see the picture of Zuckerberg at the first Metaverse press conference? Uh, where, where he had the audience in all the VR goggles and walks up on stage, puts on a VR goggle, uh, and has a conference in Metaverse while they're all sitting fucking right there. It's the most pointless thing I've ever seen. I do believe and, I have seen that, yes. And this is the guy that has Jim Justice as a governor. It's more pointless than that. That's saying something. Jim Justice is pretty pretty pointless. So, uh, NFTs kind of, uh, and I know that's yours, so we could kind of transition to do it. I think it's more the metaverse is just like a shittier versus Second Life, which Second Life has basically turned into uh, sex pests and, you know, kind of a lot of perverted <laughs> stuff. A, a, a more apt description could not be had. Second Life became sex pests. Bravo. Well, I remember... Uh, yeah, you know, like, oh, what was it? Tech TV or someone was trying to do, a, like, a live call-in show on Second Life, 
and there was just like flying penises all over the screen so they couldn't show it. Do you, I don't know if you ever watched this or not, do you know or remember that CSI New York did an episode that was in Second Life? Oh, God. It was, I mean, they had the real-life characters, but the murderer or whatever it was, like, they used Second Life to track this guy down. Oh, it's that has to be so terrible. It's so cringy. I mean, honestly, I'll... Adidas is huge in uh, to some of the uh, crime shows, and they are cringy at times already. Never mind the fact when they start to get into technology with like the kids. Oh yeah, because like as someone who had played Second Life a little bit, I'm like, that's not how that works. That's not how Second Life works. That's not my, how computers work. That's not yeah. My mom is like, oh my gosh, these kids are doing the Jupiter, but I'm like, that's not how that works. <laughs> You're never going to play that Second Life game. I was already playing. Mm-hmm. I remember looking into it, but just not being impressed with it. Yeah, I wanted to, uh, thank God I didn't get scammed. I wanted to to make money in Second Life while I was in uh, in high school. And so I was like, yeah, I could do that. I can go on here. And I was like, oh, this is a lot of work. But probably because I was laz- a lazy teenager, it kept me from getting scammed. By some, you know, 40-year-old from my pre- my parents' credit card information. Yeah, and now they're just giving that to Trump for digital uh, yeah, trading cards. Right, for his NFTs. <laughs> Speaking of, NFTs was my thing. Um, NFTs have not gone away. They probably never will, unfortunately, as like a scammy thing. But they have gotten much, much less prevalent this year. Yeah, kind of- gamer. Uh, did you see them have an editorial? Uh, basically bitching about NFTs not uh, being pushed out of mainstream gaming. No. Uh, Yeah, they had the bored ape crying uh, NFT uh, (laughs) JPEG talking about how gamers have bullied NFTs out of gaming. Good. Good. (laughs) The only good gatekeeping, keeping NFTs out out of your space. But yeah, I mean, NFTs, there was a tipping point at near the beginning of 2022. And I don't know if it was specifically Dan Olson's line goes up NFT cryptocurrency video. That seems to be around the time, but I don't, you know, I don't know if, if he gets the credit for this or if it was just he picked, you know, the right time to release his video or what. I mean, Dan Olson, if you've never, I've talked about it a couple times on the show, but if you've never seen that video, it's called Line Goes Up. It's about two and a half hours long. It's by an amazing sort of YouTube. He has become a YouTube documentarian who has done a number of very interesting videos about YouTube personalities. Uh, well, a couple of YouTube personalities, but like these big movements like QAnon and Flat Earthers and um uh nfts and the way that uh certain trends on youtube have really affected people he did one really dissecting food um food youtube um very very interesting but i get getting sidetracked from because of his lovely videos um line goes up talking about nfts and how in 2021 they kind of swept across technology and the gaming space among others he lists off several games where nfts featured heavily over the whole 
thrust of the game. And then a combined pressure from, you know, gamers and uh, him, other, you know, big name people in gaming um, or, you know, bigger name, James Stephanie Sterling, um, Jesse Cox, um, you know, those are a couple that I know, but others, I'm sure. Pushed I'm NFTs. I'm surprised they didn't uh, resurrect Total Biscuit. Yeah, right. he gets so pissed off in the afterlife, he comes back. Right. The only the only thing that NFTs would be good for if they made him so angry in the afterlife that he came back to yell about he, them. He, he crawls out of his championship cup. Yeah. <laughs> but I mean, NFTs. We, you know, we've we've litigated NFTs to death. They are hot garbage, and I get so sick of hearing of them. They're virtual beanie babies. They're virtual and, bullshit. No, but no, yes, no. you're you're not wrong. If if anybody remembers like the late nineties, early two thousands beanie baby craze, where there was this false narrative around beanie babies being this collectible item, and people bought into it, and there's so much crazy shit around that time about them that in my mind, every time I see NFT, I like mentally replace it now with Beanie Baby. Yeah. And it makes slightly more sense. I mean, it, Beanie Baby is still at the end of the day, you still have a physical thing, you know? Yeah, you, you don't can have, still snuggle up with it and it can catch your tears. You don't have a essentially a URL link, you know, a hyperlink. So there is that, but at the same time, you know, having it where, you know, this ultra rare limited edition uh, elephant that has one star blue instead of red uh, being, you know, three or four thousand dollars. Because, yeah, we said that, yeah, we're only going to produce this money and right. Yeah. But, you know, NFTs will hang on for a long time. The, the, the people, especially the executive class who got scammed yeah, the into buying them. as well. Yeah. But, you know, I mean, Square Enix, like, it very clearly, the reason they, they went hard into uh, NFTs and other cryptocurrency bullshit is because they thought they could make money on it. And so they invested in it. And then the bottom dropped out. And that's why they're so mad about it. But. I just I just got so sick of it. I just stopped listening to almost anything that had to do with NFTs. You know, you can only have so much of something before you start to get burnt out on it, before you get fatigued. And NFTs really burned both of us this year. You and I mm-hmm. talked about it privately a number of times, how sick we were of seeing NFT news articles and we wish they'd go away and we weren't covering them on the show because we couldn't have another conversation that was exactly the same. I mean, the exact conversation we're having now. So, fuck NFTs. Get out of here. Uh, does that mean it's my turn? Yep. Yay! Alright, so, moving on. The best free-to-play game. I kind of cheated. Um, and I went with a game that Epic gave away for free earlier this year, which is Loop Hero. I talked about Loop Hero on the show, I want to say maybe in the summer or the early fall. Um, Loop Hero is a game where that um, it, it's kind of a different take on an idle game. You do things... But your character just goes around in a circle on this map, and the things that you do are you build 
the map as you go. It it uses um, some. It's got some deck building aspects. Whether you get build a little deck of different types of tiles, and you do get a randomly generated map every time you go on an adventure. But you know you can use your tiles to manipulate the terrain to create more favorable fighting and loot spots for your hero, aka the loop hero. And as the story goes on, you learn more and more about this world, fight more and more of the big bad evil guys, unlock and and grow new things, and eventually save the the world. Um, Loop Hero is an excellent game. Um, it has been given away free on a couple of other occasions, and it seems to only get cheaper, which is interesting because it is very good. But be on the lookout for it to pick it up free the next time it's given away somewhere, either on Epic or it shows up on Game Pass or something like that. Worth your time. Okay, so mine is probably the uh, the one of the indie darlings of the year. But I played her on mobile, so that means it counts as my free game. Vampire Survivors. A kind of idle auto shooter where you're going through a map and trying to survive, collect power-ups, and kill thousands upon thousands of skeletons, vampires, plants, pretty much anything that pops up with some interesting mechanics around comboing weapons to uh, merge them and evolve them together. Uh, some interesting secrets to find uh, by exploring the maps and doing certain things. And it's actually, well, first of all, fun, and you're able to play, you know, like a half an hour of a single round or whatever you want to call it. Also, they're not egregious with the ads. So mobile is a free-to-play game, uh, while PC, it's, what, like, sub-five bucks? Yeah, it's very inexpensive. And the only time you ever see an ad on the game is for a gold doubler or for a revive. But, like I said, if you get far enough in the game, you don't really need them. And they still uh, you know, have the progressions, as far as I can tell, exactly the same as the PC version. Where, you know, you still build up revives pretty quickly without even seeing a goddamn ad. So, uh, a fun game plus, you know, actually, you know, not so bogged down with ads that you know, it's like a little posted stamp of a game surrounded by, you know, pop-ups, windows, and shit. So, you know, a refreshing, you know, take on the mobile gaming uh, market in general, plus an actual uh, interesting game, plus, you know, kind of just a fun, just time waster. Yeah. So, yeah, I planned uh, to talk about it at some point, so I guess there you go, right? There you go. You heard and- it here, folks. First. The yeah, GL so, Awards exclusive. So, last one up for this first block is No School Like the Old School Award. And I went back and forth on a couple games for this one. One that made me really nostalgic for a game I played like in the late 90s, early 2000s. Or another one that made me feel like it was the kind of the spiritual successor of a game I played. And that one won out. It's Parkitect. I talked about this one pretty in depth, what, like six months ago now? Something like that? 
Yeah, I'm I'm not sure on the timeline, but I do remember you talking about it. So this is essentially a spiritual successor of the old roller coaster tycoon games, and kind of what I wanted Planet Coaster to be, where it's more of a focus on the actual mechanics of the uh, of the theme park without a sole focus on a sandbox experience where. Planet Coaster is a lot of fun for you know building like your dream theme park and building rides and such. But the management side of things I felt was lacking in it. While this one, and it may also be the fact that it has kind of the old like roller coaster uh one and two like tile set and uh pseudo isometric look, even though you know it has a full camera that you could pan around, it's not just asymmetric, like the old ones. It has the look of the game. It has the kind of the general feel on building the roller coasters and some of the rides. But then they expand upon it with the, like the uh, back of the house uh, uh, support system for the uh, uh, theme park that you have to hide away and uh, make sure it works. Um, building it up where not just making a park look pretty, but actually making that a functional element where it makes uh, 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 your park goers more excited to be in the park, uh, that they kind of forget about the outside world because, you know, it, you, they're not seeing, you know, uh, you know, they're not seeing Bubba carry, you know, uh, a case of uh, popsicles, right? <laughs> to the, yeah. uh, to the, uh, to the storefront. So, Having that kind of added element on top of uh, reminded me of an old game. Uh, kind of really sold it for me for this award. So there you go. Yeah. My No School Like the Old School Award this year goes to Homeworld 1 and 2. So after we played, and I talked about this a little bit when we did the, um, the, oh, what was our space real-time strategy game? I already forgot it. That's how much of an Sins impression. Sins of a Solar I mean, Empire. Sins of a Solar Empire. After we played Sins of a Solar Empire, I talked about these games, about Homeworld. I talked about some other space games as well. But it made me want to go back and play Homeworld. Now, I have the remastered collection, which is a a prettified version. They also added some quality of life stuff from Homeworld 2 to Homeworld 1. But God, those games are so good. Like, to think about those games coming out in the late 90s, the early 2000s, and how no game that I'm aware of since has done a fully three-dimensional space real-time strategy game as well is mind-blowing to me. Those games hold up today. They're solid. They still have a few problems that persist from when they were new, especially related to, to difficulty and the AI cheating in the campaign, essentially. There are guides to work around it. There are mods to deal with it, certainly. But other than that, the game is beautiful. And even, you can play the old versions in the remastered collection. I went back and I double-checked. And even then, the old games graphically hold up. Angular starships, I, in my opinion, will never go out of style. And they, they their designs hold up well. The game plays so smoothly. The soundtrack is amazing. Just everything about this classic game puts so many modern products that have had decades 
to learn from, build upon, or even just outright steal from it. Games that have had decades to do that couldn't do it. Sometimes there really is no school like the old school. <laughs> fucking love Fallout. Or fuck, fucking, I do fucking love the original Fallout, too. I did think about putting the original Fallout on my list, but Homeworld. Fucking love Homeworld. Good shit. Good shit. That, uh, that does bring us, though, to the end of Block 1. So, I'm going to take a little note here on the timestamp on my, my notepad. Do you need a break or anything, or do you uh, want to go I ahead and I'm continue okay. on? All right. Uh, well, you're up. First thing of Block 2. Okay, so oh, let me tap back over. So, the Off the Wall uh, Game Award. Strangest game you played in the last year. Uh, another one I've talked about before, Last Call BBS. Kind of the swan song of Zaktronics. Essentially a simulator for an old bulletin board system in like late 80s, uh, early 90s uh, PC with some simplistic uh, games to go along with it. And it's kind of a uh, a bittersweet end to Zaktronics uh, since the head of the uh, head of the developer wanted to essentially go back to teaching high school and was uh, you know getting a little tired of making uh, you know the essentially the same you know kind of like uh, not the same game but you know the same genre over and over again and their one time of stepping out of the genre didn't really sell that well so I definitely understand that, but at the same time, you know, looking back at like you know this old tech and seeing it immortalized in a game, definitely felt strange, you know. Yeah, and also the fact that you know, you know, uh, kind of a self insert as well for uh, the developer talking about how it's like part simulator part almost documentary about themselves. Really weird, but really an awesome concept. So, uh, you're up. Yeah, my game was Kinshi. Now, I, I struggled with this, honestly. Number one, my idea of what's strange is very different to most people's idea of what's strange is. But number two, I really didn't play that many strange games this year. My life was the fucking strange thing this year. <laughs> but thinking about the weird or different game experiences I did play, Kinshi really is the weirdest. It is, I, I described it as, if I remember correctly, what I said was it's the jack of all trades that manages to do them all pretty well because it is a game that exists in this weird post-apocalyptic sci-fi magical world with these weird creatures and aliens that maybe are mutants in this human society where that you play whatever you want. You want to open up a store? Open one up. You want to take over a town and run it? Go for it. You want to do that militarily? Sure. You want to do that by becoming the mayor? Knock yourself out, kid. You want to start a manufacturing and mining empire across the entire game world, which is fucking massive? Go off, king. You want to become a lone wandering samurai with the greatest sword skills this universe has ever seen? 
yes, queen, go for it. Like <laughs> this game allows you to do anything, but it is brutally fucking punishing if you don't know what you're doing. And even it's when you do like a sci-fi banner saw uh, uh, down in blade. Sorry. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it's, it's very odd, but also a very enjoyable experience. So if you've got, Oh, I don't know, 150 hours to figure out how to play this game. It's well worth whatever it costs. I don't, it's, I don't know if I've ever played another game quite like it. Because it happened, it so happens to pull off basically everything pretty well. Good game, Kenshi. Graphics suck, but you know, graphics aren't everything. So yeah, let's see. All right, the next award, the Drop It Like a Hot Rock Award, which for us is essentially a game that we picked up and bounced stuff off of almost immediately. Um. Mine this year was War Game Red Dragon. I don't even know if I talked about this game on the show. I don't recall it. I played it. I was very excited when we moved back in end of March, 1st of April. Um, I downloaded several games to play in the interim while I had no internet, while all of that was getting, you know, turned on and my, uh, you know, guy was doing my ethernet cable run through my house and all that jazz. I was very excited to play this. I've had it in my Steam library for forever. It is a Cold War strategy game, real-time strategy game, where it's like, what if the Cold War went hot? And there are some scenarios that exist in it for real-world battles, and there's some alternate history scenarios and stuff. Um, But ostensibly, it sells itself as this real-time strategy or real-time tactics game. And it plays horribly its controls are terrible its interface is is god awful it runs badly and the running badly thing could be just like a weird hardware issue i didn't see very many complaints on that but a lot of people bounce off of this game because of how unintuitive it is now to my knowledge there's not much else that exists like it so if you really want to do alternate cold war history you don't have a lot of options but it's just, it's it's not very good. And so I, I was very disappointed and bounced off of it after, I don't know, an hour, two hours of trying to figure it out, like really trying. And if I'd had the internet, I wouldn't have tried even that long. But I bought this in a, on a Steam sale like five years ago. So it's destined to just sit in my library for all eternity. Okay, so for me... I kind of went back and forth between this and the game for the next uh, uh, award, which I'll get to. But Cooking Simulator. Simulator in a game title usually means one of two things these days. Either it's actually a simulator, and yeah, it gives you some feel for what it is to do that thing. So you like Euro Truck Simulator. Uh, or it is... Very, 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 very goofy. And just tries to be wacky. See, like uh, Power Wash Simulator, where, yes, it does give you the sensation of, uh, of you know, power washing something. But, yeah, you know, you're slowly getting more and more, like, wacky shit that you're cleaning. You know? Yeah. Cooking Simulator did neither. It tried to be, like, really serious. 
But I'm pretty much convinced that whoever made this game, their culinary achievement is Pop-Tarts. <laughs> because they they treat cooking in this like a mixture of like chopped uh the uh, uh the uh TV game show chopped where you know you have to quickly throw together a meal with you know uh and what people think like chefs do when they cook you know like super exact ingredient amounts i mean super exact and it really sucked all the fun out of it and this is on top of having some clunky mechanics that feels like it's more like streamer youtuber bait like the uh, okay a good example of this is whenever you go to the pantry area you have to buy every individual ingredient uh to make a dish that then your employer you're basically a personal shell a chef you're not even yeah like just cooking you know right so you're buying each individual ingredient but you can only carry one ingredient at a time. Never mind the fact how small it is. So you're like, unless you buy like a basket, which in the early game, <laughs> good luck, right? Because it's also is a little bit punishing on just, you know, how much money you have to spare in the very beginning. You're carrying like one potato back at a time. And oh, and there's a time limit because of course there is, right? Of course. It just feels like, what somebody with anxiety in the kitchen feels like cooking should be. They should have called it like anxious chef simulator or something, you know? And I just, I didn't even get like past the second recipe. Whenever I got something done and yeah, you know, with a little bit of timer left, sent it out and they wanted something completely different. And I realized, okay, well, I'm going to have to, you know, like cart all these ingredients back uh, one at a time. Because I didn't really have this, I didn't know if I had enough money to, you know, like buy the like little tray basket to be able to put shit in. Never mind the fact that, yo, know, it's also, yo, know, has, you know, clunky, uh, you know, wacky physics. So, you know, if you start dropping shit, well, I'm actually not sure if it would break like eggs stuff, but you know what I mean? Yeah. I just, I just dropped it. I just was not having fun with it. And it, it was kind of sad because, you know, there, there are good cooking games out there. This is not one of them, though. I'm just glad I played it on Game Pass, not somewhere where I actually spent money on the, that piece of shit. Yeah. Thank the gods for Game Pass. Yeah. Yeah, it's starting to think, like, yeah, we should have a, a Game Pass exclusive <laughs> topic at some point. But uh, speaking of Game Pass, uh, my least played favorite game I've played uh, in 2022. Also, it was from Game Pass. Totally reliable delivery service. This is kind of the the extreme opposite end of uh, the simulator-style games where it's very, very wacky, and they try to make it, you know, I, I, I guess I, I, I have this thing where if you make things overly clunky for no reason other than the lulls, I'm very likely going to hate it. And this is one of those games where uh, to pick up and move something, uh, it's like jelly physics. 
and then you have to sling into the back of your car, and you don't really have control over like moving it outside of just you know giving the uh, character the impression of doing it. And on top of that, it's like a, a I don't want to call it a sandbox, but like a pseudo open world with a twisty, turny uh, uh, roads and some obstacles that just yeah you know, pop up out of nowhere. And I just did not have the patience for it. I got further in it than I probably should have just because I wanted to see, okay, is something interesting going to happen if I do like a couple more missions and build up some money? And no, it's just a grindathon. Once again, it feels like, you know, a streamer bait. And it's like the worst game I've played from Tiny Build. But Tiny Build usually has at least decent games, even if I'm not a huge fan of them. Yeah. Surgeon Simulator is a better game than this. And I did not like Surgeon Simulator. But I could see where people could have fun with the could have fun with it. This one, I don't see how. Maybe they were like dropped on their head when they were a child or something. I don't know. Possibly. That would make things sound or all all seem better, I I would imagine. Or, or maybe, uh, you know, it's for little kids. Maybe, I imagine King would absolutely love this if he could get the controls down. Because like mm. I said, it's always, you know, you're like you're giving the characters a general idea of what to do. But, and especially if you're like in a more unstable vehicle. Like some of them are, you know, your standard like trucks and stuff. But then you have like, three, you know, the three-wheeled like Reliant Robin, right? <laughs> Yes, yeah, good cars. Which, good luck. Makes me think of Gang Beasts. That's something my kid has been playing, and I've watched him play, but I have declined to engage in, really. Because mm-hmm. it just is like, just looks like the shittiest Mario Party games with the worst controls. But, anyways. Yeah, I imagine your kid would love this. Is it still on Game Pass? I'm pretty sure it is. Yeah, maybe I'll tell him to check it out. So, my game that was my least favorite is kind of a weird one. Um, cause it's, it is a remembered, uh, you know, kind of critically and generally by the community remembered as a good game. And I don't disagree with that, but this is an example of the old school being well old. And that is Baldur's Gate 2. I played Baldur's Gate 2 about was three. Was it the enhanced ones or? Yes, yes, it was. About uh, three months ago, and I can see where it's a good game. I can see how it served to promote the CRPG genre, helped spawn a, you know, a whole load of games, a, a whole style of games. Like, I can see how it did that, but because it's like 25 years old, um, and even the enhanced edition, you know, or the enhanced version, whatever it's called, with its improvements, does not make the game, in my opinion, playable. And it breaks down really quickly with just some weird controls and, you know, bad tooltips, which for the time, you know, bad by modern standards. And so I, I tried playing it for several hours. I stuck with it a lot longer than I probably would have otherwise. Like, no, I remember this game being good. I remember 
you know, enjoying aspects of this game. And I, you know, that's why I bought this because I wanted to play it, but it just doesn't hold up. And so, as as weird as it might seem, like this game fit the least favorite game played in 2022. Because it wasn't really a disappointment. I didn't drop it because it was like jarringly bad. It's just an older game that other games have taken and improved upon and, you know, improved the formula and implemented fixes and quality of life improvements and stuff that are very, very noticeable when they're not there. Um, but speaking of that, there's a bowl improvement. Yeah, which it's back to me. Yes, back to me. So the time sink award games you've played 50 hours or more in the last year. I had several that fit into this category. I played many fewer games this year, but played them more often. Um, and I thought about putting BattleTech here because it's my obligatory, obligatory once, uh, per list, you know, BattleTech mech warrior mention, but, um, well, spoilers that shows up later. So, uh, I picked another game that I I spent 200 hours on in the past year because I got it in 2022. So all of the time accumulated until the last week or so was uh, in 2022. Project Zomboid is an excellent sur- zombie survival game that m- pulls no punches and makes no bones about what it is. But 99.9% of the time, when you die, it's because you fucked up and you know it. Um, the game has got a few glitches. There have been a few times in that in that time frame where something has happened and I've had a major loss and been like, that was bullshit. Most of the rest of the time, it's, God damn it, Jared, why did you get complacent again? <laughs> um, you know, getting killed by my own inattentiveness. Um, it is a zombie survival game where that you... Uh, are one of the rare survivors of a what's called the Knox County infection. Knox County based on real world uh, Kentucky. The only true real world place that shows up is Louisville, but it has a fairly massive map with multiple sort of small townships across the county, um, ultimately leading to you going to the city of Louisville if you choose to do so. There's no story. There's some background stuff. There's some lore you can learn. But there's no story. The title screen says it all. This is the story of how you died. Because you cannot win. Yeah, they're really rude in the tutorial. Yeah, they're very rude in the tutorial. But yeah, you you cannot win. Essentially, you survive until you die or you quit playing, which also counts as a loss. It's excellent. I'm we have talked about it being a game club game. You wanted to wait until the next major release. And I think that this game still has such great breadth and depth to it that even though our hours played, if that ever does happen, would be pretty drastically different. I think we could come together still and have comparable experiences to talk about. Plus, we could explore multiplayer together. So, Project Zomboid, that was my Time Sync Award, but genuinely a game I thoroughly enjoyed this past year. So, for me... This is me going into a genre that I've tried to get into before. It just never really had it click. And it might have just been, you know, going into a different version of it or a different game of it on the cheap and kind of by myself 
and plugging away at it. And it is satisfactory. I picked this up on a Humble Bundle early on in the year with quite a few interesting games that I haven't actually tackled all of them just yet. I still need to finish those. And Satisfactory is a first-person factory builder, early access still. So possibly a candidate for it's still in early access. Yeah. You're, You're basically building machines to build things to build machines to build things. Kind of the obligatory uh, idea of a factory builder. And you're also building up things to build the space and elevator. The actual story of the game is not quite there yet. It's supposed to actually it's supposed to release either this year or next year as a full yeah 1.0 release. I guess we'll see on that one. And they've uh, you know, have little bits of the uh, actual story of it in there, but yeah, nothing that you could kind of piece together. So it's more not quite sandbox because you still have to get your uh, logistics and everything to build everything. But, you know, it's you versus the environment building up shit. And they've actually, uh, talking to Jim about it, fixed quite a few things uh, since... Yeah, you know, it first came out. You know, having you know trucking actually being viable now, right? Yeah, the truck pathing system left much to be desired in the first several major versions of the game. Yeah, well, now they're up to version seven, and trucks actually work really well. Uh, if they do get stuck, they'll uh, you know kind of you know draw hump whatever they're on for uh, for a moment, and then kind of like phase to the next uh, waypoint. So, you know, that's you know, a little bit of a video game logic way to do it, but, right. Yeah, and there, I and there are mods that, that And there are mods that do fix that, you know, uh, do a little bit more of a smarter driving system as well. Uh, plus the fact that, you know, once you're, like, out of uh, physics range, you know, the trucks are basically just, you know, uh, in the distance doing their thing and not really interacting with the world. Which, right? Yeah. So I prefer that the, to the it working. You know, I prefer yeah. that working versus it not. I'm trying to do something more and it not working. Yeah, so I have like 70 or some 80 hours on my on my uh, file. Uh, and I've uh, basically gone back to the basics and I tore down like all my iron production and I'm rebuilding it all. <laughs> Which, you know, it's kind of the name of the game, right? Yep. Yeah, realize, oh, you you were a complete dumbass. Uh, I had, like, three different lines of uh, iron bars coming in because I started up iron production, realized I'd need more for this, so I put in another line, then, oh, I need more of this other thing, so, yeah, it's like this uh, spaghetti of uh, the things coming together, and now it's a single manifold feeding all the uh, foundries that uh, turn the iron bars into the various goods. So there's no, like, you know, one is uh, starved of uh, bars because it doesn't have enough uh, materials while the others are, uh, you know, oversaturated. So there is that. There's quite a few mods that I run, but nothing that's you know, utterly game-breaking. I have so to ask, do you build tall or do you build wide? Yes. Okay, good. That's the correct answer. 
Uh, let's put it this way. Uh, Iron Production has, like, four major levels to it. Uh, there's the base level where uh, all the iron ore comes in and goes up to the uh, foundry level, which uh, produces all the iron bars. Uh, and then that goes up to basic iron works that produces screws, iron bars, and uh, 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 iron plates. And I'm going to have two things where uh, everything uh, produces out to a singular uh, output, which goes down to the uh, basement uh, and splits off into individual storage uh, for me to take out. But then there's going to be one, uh, those are pretty much saturated now since it's been uh, running. So then it's going to split off and go up a floor to advanced iron production, which will produce the modular frames, the uh, uh, and all the uh, all, all the advanced uh, uh, iron uh, uh, works, which will then go back down to the basement. <laughs> to, uh, uh, to be sorted out for distribution for me to take out, and then overflow goes into the awesome sink, which is like their in-game way of like uh, of getting rid of extra stuff. But then you get cosmetics and stuff from it, and uh, additional uh, stuff that you can build. Lore-wise, it's basically like your way of sending materials back to the uh, to the Evil or evil question mark corporation, right? Yeah, the awesome sync didn't exist the last version I played in. It's been a while since I played. Yeah, they have the awesome sync now, which uh, there's two different versions of uh, material that you can put into it. There's essentially the manufactured goods, which depending on essentially how much effort you put into it is how much uh, awesome points you get back, which gives you tickets that uh, you could spend on stuff, uh, be it, you know, just materials or uh, go up to, you know, uh, full-on blueprints for, like, more foundations, uh, uh, different versions of things that you could build, different walls to build an actual factory, you know, that sort of thing. Or, you know, just, you know, like, uh, well, I, I need, you know, like, just a few... Uh, of this one material. Well, you could use a, a a ticket for it, but each time you uh, uh, get a ticket, the next ticket costs more points. So that's kind of the rub, right? Yeah. But there's only so many that you really need for all the unlockables. And then there's the essentially the exploration version of it, where uh, you could, uh, as you kill animals... Which, uh, the arachnophobia mode is hilarious. It basically takes all the spiders and makes them into holographic cats. The spiders don't bother me as much in this game. Because they don't really look like spiders. Yeah, I but mean, but the fact that, you know, arachnophobic mode, it just, you know, holographic cats, it's meowing at you the entire time, right? Yeah. Uh, you could convert uh, animal drops into DNA capsules, which is its own... Uh, uh, point system, but also gives uh, awesome tickets. So, right, yeah, but yeah, it's kind of like been my breakthrough on uh, just the factory builder genre. 
And, and it's also, you know, it's less punishing than uh, Factorio, where, you know, if you do your thing, uh, if you're sitting there doing your own thing, you're still producing pollution that will uh, eventually get the uh, monsters to turn on you. On this, there's usually a handful of things around that will attack you, but once you kill them, they're gone. So it's, you know, turns into more sandboxish boxish and yeah, allowing you to do your thing. And also, if you just build up into the scow, you know, they're not going to bother you anyway. Yeah. So there's that, too. So, you ready for the next one? Uh, yes, I am. Let's see. Uh, best Discovery queue game. So, I got Tunic on my Discovery queue. And this also got very close to a you know, no school like the old school award because Tunic is essentially a take on both The Legend of Zelda but also the idea of the old way we used to play video games where all the mechanics are there in the game but you don't know about them until you read the fucking manual, right? Yeah. Oh, that's Tunic. Yes. I know what this game is. And it's essentially Legend of Zelda, only you're collecting uh, bits of an instruction manual that teaches you how to play the game. And there's, like, handwritten notes in all the uh, instruction manual. I haven't gotten as far in it as I would like to. I still need to go back and play it some more. But it's uh, been a little bit of an indie darling in and of itself. Uh, it kind of got overshadowed by Stray later on in the year. But early on in the year, it, you know, whew, right? Yeah. Uh, extremely good game. And if you're a fan of the you know, hack and slash uh, RPG genre, it's well worth checking out. And it's on Game Pass. So so I I got... Um, we didn't do as many Discovery Cues this year. We did a few on the show. We obviously did our Discovery Cues during the Steam sales and stuff for those free trading cards. Mm-hmm. One that I got this year and checked out is called Rogue Lords. Um, Rogue Lords, while that name is unfortunately fairly uh, generic, it betrays what is an extremely well-put-together, complicated, uh, roguelike game. Um... Of course, it does the roguelike thing where you do runs, and the more runs you succeed at, the more you advance the story. But you play as the devil, and you are in charge of um, your your various cast of characters, which are evil, or what are thought of as evil sort of masterminds, geniuses, creatures, etc. Throughout, uh, throughout time, throughout. Uh, a whole bunch of different storytelling. Dracula is is one of the ones that you start with. So, you know, I'll, I'll use that as an example to talk about it here for a minute. But, you know, you have Dracula, and he has several powers connected to him being Dracula. Um, a, a couple of which are connected more to the story of Dracula as opposed to him just having vampire powers. And as you play through, you being the devil... You can choose to make deals with them for more power or for more stats in in some other way, perhaps to get you out of a situation. 
Um, they all have sort of an ultimate ability that you can trigger this way. And then it has different conversations, different sort of choose your own adventure aspects as you travel through uh, the, the lands, the countryside, engaging in the story against peasants and other creatures, uh, vampire hunters, clerics, etc. It is a very, very well put together, interesting roguelite that unfortunately has a very boring name called rogue lords but it was it was a discovery queue find and uh i have particularly enjoyed it um i showed up somewhere else too i think it was given away on epic this year um it wasn't an amazon prime game it was somewhere else this year but you know it goes on sale it, it'll show up in places it's good good game enjoy it um let's see that brings us to our final award for the night at the end and of category a two, a new one for this year. It's the nailed it award. Now you and I had different interpretations of this after we talked about it. Essentially the way that I interpreted it is that we looked at something we called what it was going to be and we were right, but what it was unfortunately was a shitty thing. Yeah. So, so I, my Nailed It award goes to Diablo Immortal this year. Um, Diablo Immortal, when it came out earlier this year. Or uh, do you not have phones? Right. Do you do you not have phones? Um, when it came out, we said on the show, I said on the show, this game is going to be a massive flop. It is going to be extremely unsuccessful. It will be a microtransaction hell. And on top of that, they're going to use it to try to push some new predatory practices that will come back to bite their ass in some weird way and wouldn't you know it it came out and it was a huge flop and it was full of microtransaction bullshit and they unequivocally unashamedly sold power in this game and then punished a whole bunch of players who spent a shitload of money hundreds of thousands of dollars in some cases buying that power causing massive backlash and controversy to the game so much so that I haven't heard anything about it in a while. I uh, I don't imagine it shut down yet, but... Oh, it's done a, a, a Squaresoft game. Right. But, nailed it. <laughs> uh, I was heading over to Reddit to see what uh, people are saying these days, because, right? Yeah. I, I mean, there was one thing where people were buying uh, the... Or uh, it has like what half a dozen different currencies. They're buying yeah. the primary main currency, like uh, in uh, from a secondary seller that uh, got cracked down on, and people ended up with like some like twenty or thirty thousand uh, of these orbs in the red. I mean, it was just too right. Yep. And, and wasn't mask. there? And, and there was a calculation of like it was what. Twenty or thirty thousand dollars to build up one of the gems, and for uh, absolute best character was like a hundred thousand or something like that. Yep. Ooh. So for us, the day we're recording this is the day before Stadia dies. <laughs> so I don't think either of us had very much of a hope for Stadia. Nope. Not that I recall. And I remember when the 
uh, I think it was the Game Awards or E3. I can't remember which one it was. But the first year that Stadia was a thing, they did this massive marketing push before the program was ready. And pretty much everything I ever saw about Stadia for quite a while was how laggy it was, how you know, uh, Google was going to drop it. And I, I, I thought the same thing. I thought it was going to die last year, not this year, but especially whenever there was rumors going around about uh, uh, about them shutting down and they closed all their first-party uh, developers early on in the year. So I expected it towards the last portion of last year, not you know, tomorrow, literally, in this case. Yeah, it clung to life for a little bit, but... Yeah, I mean, I do feel bad for the people that bought into this. I am impressed that Google did almost blanket refunds because outside of like, I, I think it's just a subscription cost for like the pro version or whatever it was. Uh, they refunded almost everything else, which good on them there. But Google has a graveyard that uh, that's uh, that makes EA uh, jealous. Yeah, I was going to um, say, Google has a graveyard second to none. Except maybe Microsoft. Microsoft's got a pretty big graveyard. Yeah, EA wishes they had the graveyard of killed uh, uh, developers and projects that Google has. So, anybody that paid attention to tech, I think was leery of Stadia from the get-go. So, seeing Stadia fall like this, right? Yep. Uh, at least they did p- eventually put out a patch so that all the controllers are not going to be e-waste right away. So there is that. I didn't so, see that. What's that yeah, about? Uh, they released the drivers to enable Bluetooth on the Stadia controllers. Oh, so you can just use it as a straight Bluetooth controller. Yeah, yeah it is a, a direct input device, so it's not direct X or direct input. Or, or sorry, dir- uh, X input, I should say, so it's... Sh- it's sort of like how uh, the DualShock controller is. Yeah. I'm sure that there's going to be you know, some sort of fan support to build dri- uh, drivers to maybe uh, emulate it uh, into a, more of an Xbox controller. But yeah, Steam has some pretty good uh, built-in controller support already. So, all right. Yeah. So th- that that's how Stadia is going to live on uh, as. Most likely a very cheap controller in the next like year or two, because right, yeah. Although once they start breaking down, unless there's a kind of a weird pseudo third or you know secondary market that pops up, they supposedly will eventually the control- become e waste. Supposedly the controllers were pretty good. I mean, not as good as like first party like uh, Xbox controllers, but uh, fairly solid all around. That was like the big. Uh, uh, thing that I've always seen about Stadia reviews that controllers are good. Everything else kind of sucks, but eh. and hey, uh, uh, Rockstar did contact that one guy that had like three thousand hours in uh, Red Dead Redemption Two, so he got to keep his game. Yay! <laughs> good, f- good for that guy, I guess. I do feel bad for people that uh, bought into games on that on that platform because you lost your uh, save files, and for some games, that's you know. May as well just lose the game in general, right? Yep. Starting all over again. 
buy the game on a new platform. And that is us done for part one. So we'll be releasing part two in between this episode and the next uh, regular episode. That's the plan. So if you wish to contact us and maybe get a shout out on the uh, second episode, you do so vglpodcast at gmail.com. Uh, a link to our uh, Discord over at vglpodcast.podbean.com. Or you can tweet us vglpodcast on the Twitter. So, uh, anything to say before we release the Shikhydrobot again? I don't think so. Let's turn that Shikhydrobot loose. Uh, well, and our lovely, lovely patrons have paid f- uh, for the appearance of the Shikhydrobot. Indeed. You can find out more about that over at patreon.com slash podcast. Once again, you can check out the podcast uh, website, uh, vjopodcast.podbean.com, for links to all our stuff. And if you wish to spread the love, you can find us on your podcatcher of choice. Our intro and outro music, I, I can't remember what the name of it is, but it's from Kevin McLeod. <laughs> yeah, assuming yep. you're using the VGL Awards one. I will be. But yeah, I don't remember what it's called either. And you've been? I've been me. I've been Jared. You can find me over on Twitter. That site seems to have not burned down yet. Uh, at JMA4707. You can, of course, talk to me on Discord. You can watch me occasionally run tabletop games uh, over on twitch.tv slash runic arts. And uh, if you really want to, you can be my friend on Steam by sending a uh, friend request to jarthur4707. And I've been Caffeine Rage. You can maybe find me tweeting over at Gaming with CR. I haven't this year so far. I'm not sure if I'm wanting to really bother with it anymore. I'm still up in the air about the whole Twitter thing. Uh, you could be my friend over on Steam, though, Caffeine Rage. And I think that's us done. So, release the Hydrobot. Uh, yeah? Well, I already I, did I the gonna, outro stuff, so. Yeah, I was going to say, as always, as this lovely music rolls across my voice, but I don't have a, a Shik Hydrobot theme. I should find a Shik Hydrobot theme. It'll be playing now. Check it out. Bye-bye. Hey. Shik Hydro. Designed like no other razor. Hydrobot, taking it to the next level, that was sick. You think you can go for a few more rounds? We'll see in a little bit, but for now, let's head back to the Game Awards. Hey! Chick Hydro, designed like no other razor.